also the bearing of much fruit, the evidence that comes, not so that we'll feel good about ourselves, but really genuinely causing us to do it because of our love. Remembering back to what John would write in his letter to the churches, and he would write that letter that the love is going to come, not as a motivation by the law, but that our actions are going to happen because of the the love that we have for Christ. So let's kind of dig into a little bit of this tonight, looking at this spiritual friendship. I love this word, abide. Father, help us as we study this together, bring uh, reminders to us as we've studied this passage before, maybe some new truth or something that maybe you want us to individually personalize and chew on for a little bit. And so I thank you for what we can learn together tonight. We offer ourselves to you to be freed from distractions and so that we might come to the table eager and ready to be fed and to be taught from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at these eight verses, we learn that what Jesus was talking about when he said that he was the vine, that the father was the husbandman or the vine dresser, the farmer, the, the one who would take care of these vines, and then the disciples were the branches. And this really helps us to set out to better realize what it means when we talk about abiding in Christ and this incredible connection that we have. The components of understanding here in this passage kind of jump off of the pages as we read them and as we study them together. The identification here, first of all, is the source of life, and that comes as Jesus, the true vine, the genuine, authentic vine. And in verse number five, he just repeats that by saying, I, I'm the one, I am the source of life, I am the vine. And this is going to be the only place that we're going to find our acceleration. It's going to be the place we find our uh, nutrition. It's going to be the place that moves us forward to growth. That's why we always ask the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? Does he just become this novel hero, this novel idea of somebody special? Does he become just something that we think was a good man? Or does it become something that is life-changing in all of us? And that is this true vine, this genuine, authentic vine, and being our source of life. Jesus knew that he was being prepared. He was getting ready to be taken away by the soldiers, and he's preparing his disciples for what they're going to encounter. Everything that they have experienced for three and a half years is getting ready to come to a head, and and they're going to have a very difficult time comprehending that and really a very difficult time accepting that. How does somebody as bold and brash as Peter, who just had days earlier, has given Jesus this confirmation, false confirmation, that no matter what happens, I will never deny you, I'll never reject you, and I will always stand for truth. They can take my life. I will always stand boldly for you. But then minutes later, after Jesus is arrested and taken away, put on trial and falsely accused, and then being beaten, it is when then that that Peter begins to downward spiral at a very rapid rate. This was not going to be something that is played out over days or weeks or months. This is something within hours that Peter is denying Christ three different times. That became an intense moment for Peter, who had a very close in connection with Jesus Christ. But then when rubber meets the road and all was out there for him to live out, he really cowered in those moments. And the rest of us, we just want to throw eggs at Peter, and we think, that's Peter for you. But the truth is, is that our lives often play out in that way. When things don't go as we want them to go, 
Maybe we are like Peter and boldly proclaim that we'll never waver and we'll never back away. And when Jesus is, is betrayed by the enemy Judas and all the soldiers, maybe we're still like Peter and we take our sword after that soldier and we slice off that ear thinking we're doing something great for the cause of Christ only to be reprimanded to realize that we have acted out in flesh. And then at that moment, it's a downward spiral instead of being more confirmed in our belief, now we begin to doubt. And so we often partner right alongside Peter in our response. Peter had a abode in Christ for years and had a very tight connection. Days later, we're going to find that Peter, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is going to ask Peter point blank, do you love me? Peter's going to say, of course I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And then offers this, ex- ex- this question and then the opportunity to exclaim with great passion that, yes, I do love you. Why do you keep asking me this? And then given the privilege and responsibility to shepherd and to feed his people. And that's going to be lived out there at the Pentecost where he will preach the powerful gospel and many people's lives will be changed because of that. Well, the source of that life is all directed to Jesus. And as he is talking to his disciples and speaking these words of comfort and truth, we see that Jesus says in verse 1, the true vine, the original by which all other vines are just a copy, a mimic, a fraud. And as Christians, we do not live on substitutes. Now, now sometimes we like substitutes in our life. Some of us... uh, we use some fake sugar because it, it helps us, and, and, uh, and so that's a substitute for us. Um, some of you buy store brand stuff like drinks, or if we really want to get offensive, some of you buy those fake chocolate peanut butter combinations, all right? So I don't know why you even bother spending your money on that. But there are plenty out there who try to master the formula and the combination of chocolate and peanut butter, and that you can always tell. How many of you like store-bought drinks? Anybody go for the Walmart brand drinks? Anybody like that? A substitute? Okay, maybe from time to time. I'm not going to get on to you, okay? So everybody's like, I'm not saying anything, all right? That's fine. Like that, those are the substitutes that we do um, often go with, um, and that becomes a very natural thing. But when we're thinking of Christ we have to make sure to avoid the substitutes. And there are a lot of substitutionary vines in our life. On Wednesday nights, we're talking about all the mini gods and the mini idols that we try to wrap ourselves in while taking a hold of Lord Yahweh and having him, but then also all of our mini gods from our temples that we want to take with us because they give us a little sense of security, a little sense of confidence, and a little sense of worth. And so we'll tag along those with us. Well, that's a substitute from the Lord God. That's what the children of Israel tried to do. They nestled into the land of Canaan and they rubbed shoulders with the Hittites and the Canaanites and the, all the Vites. And what ended up happening is that God removed his hand of blessing and protection and they were then taken into oppression because of it. So this true vine calls for no substitutes and uh, we don't worship an artificial God. We worship a, a true God and one who is worthy of our praise. That's what I love about Parkway and the people of Parkway is just every Sunday, really every time that we meet is just a very true, genuine worship to God. 
And it is an ex- expression and, uh, to, to who he is and what he's done for us. And I'm with you. I sit there with you, and I experience it with you in worship, knowing that we cannot sing those songs just so monotonous without our heart and our mind being really excited about who God is. Uh, Bailey, I I think, and Brooklyn are, are learning in Christ alone on the piano. And so they'll just go at it and we'll just start belting it out in our, in our little condo there and we'll just be singing in Christ alone. And, and we just go through every verse because it's just every verse builds on top of it. And there's nobody, nothing can pluck us out of the Father's hand. And the verse that talks about how he came alive out of the tomb. And, and as we worship together, we're not just singing words to bounce off of walls. And we're not just singing words to try to appease each other to get into the groove. We are singing words of adoration to an author authentic God, a Christ who is the source of our life. He's the one who gave us the comfort this week. He's the one who gave us joy this week. He's the one that gave us victory this week. It is nothing of ourself. And so this friendship that we have with Christ, he's reminding us that he is the true authentic source of life. So Jesus, though God in flesh form, uh, he did not use this instant to claim to be the vine dresser or the husbandman here in the text. It's a bit surprising, but he does state that he is the true source of life, and then he points to God the Father as the revealer of genuineness. You look at verse 1 again, he says, My father, so God, is the husbandman. He is the gardener, the farmer, the vine dresser. And then he says in in verse 2, Every branch that is in me that bears not fruit... He, God, takes away. The the farmer takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, well, he purges it. He prunes it that it may bring forth fruit. So here's what God the Father is doing is he's revealing the genuineness of the branch. So the vine, Jesus Christ, looking for us as the disciples, the followers of Christ, to be abiding in him, to find our source of life, our nutrients, our energy, our strength, our connection as the branch to be able to grow. Now, you who are gardeners do this all the time. I've got three little plants in my office, and I try to collect these little plants that I can water, and I've got the the money tree that takes only two ice cubes every Friday. Okay, it's very particular. And so... This Friday, I almost forgot, and I had to go at closing at 5, 5.30, and I, I got to get two ice cubes. And so I go, and I accidentally got three, and so I had to chip off and, and, and throw it away, and I, I put the two ice cubes in there. Then I thought, the leaves, they kind of look sad. So I got my spray bottle out, and I spray the leaves, and then I thought, oh, wait, no, that's, oh, no, I've done too much. I'm not, it's only supposed to be two ice cubes, but you'll, you'll be glad to know it's still doing well today, Okay. Then the other new plant that I, I got a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know what it's called. It's just a really pretty plant on my conference table. And I walked in on Thursday, and the leaves were just really droopy. And I'll be honest, it did not get a lot of my attention in the last seven days. And uh, the other plants did. So now, understand, I am, I am doing ministry work every day as well, okay? So, I mean, I am, I am calling on people and studying, okay, and, and doing counseling with Brad on a lot of occasions. But um, there are a lot of things that I am doing. But I am trying to grow some healthy plants, so I'll have some things to breathe in and, and during the day. And so this was droopy, and so I knew it needed some, some attention. It needed some water. 
Now, what am I talking about with all of this? You understand the picture. You deal with it as well. Some of you have greener thumbs than I'll ever have, and, and some of you are more into that. And you know that you've got to trim it back. You've got to purge it. You've got to prune it so that it'll grow new branches, so that it'll grow new flourishment. And, uh, and then sometimes there's just dead parts that have to be plucked and taken off. And so here's God the Father revealing that of those who are genuine and then those who are frauds those who are the pretenders. And in this passage, God's nurture and expectations are revealed. The expectation is that the followers of Christ, Christians, believers, all of us, we, we need to have daily cleansing of his word. Verse number three, he says, now you, ye are clean uh, through the word. We are, we are pruned through the word which I have spoken unto you. So he's telling his disciples that you're going to be pruned, you're going to be purged, you're going to be made better by the words which I have spoken unto you. And so we would say that, we would say that our daily cleansing, our daily growth is going to come from the words of God. Verse number four, as a, as a Christian, a follower of Christ, another expectation is for us to abide or remain in Christ. So this is really a basic Christian experience, but it is something that some people neglect that's why we keep saying it over and over again. Spiritual decline is inevitable unless intentional spiritual renewal is happening every day because the decline will take place and some will go away from the abiding in Christ. Now, we're not theologically talking about a loss of salvation. It's very important that as we study verses 1 through 8 and really study John 15, that we keep it in its proper understanding of translation as well as in its context. And so Jesus is not speaking here of an abiding that once happened, but somebody said, I don't want it anymore, therefore I'm gone, I'll leave it, and I don't want it. No, that is not a loss of salvation being taught here in John 15. Another expectation that we have is fruitful living that is evident on the outside because of what is happening on the inside. Look at verse number five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Because we're connected, because we're abiding, well, fruit is going to come out as evidence because of what's taking place on the inside. Another thing is, is the nurture or cultivation of God causes us to flourish and glorify him, verse number eight. So as you can see through all of these verses, this responsibility, this responsibility tells us that we can do something with this abiding in Christ and the great rewards and blessings that come. Well, in verse number five, I want us to see what God does to reveal the genuineness of believers. He prunes the lively branches, and by itself, a branch is, is weak, and, um, and it needs some help. And so the, reveal, the revealer of genuineness is God the Father. He prunes the branches that are alive and bearing fruit. Why? So that they can do more. Scott Boyd, you're a green thumb, and he'll come into my office, and I'll show him some of my plants, and... And he, he'll even look. He'll say, well, I like what this one is doing, but you know what? I would trim this back. I'm like, what's green? I'm like, oh, I don't want to cut that off. He's like, no, if you cut this back, it's going to branch out this way. You'll get more. You'll get more leaves. You'll just be a prettier look. And so sure enough, I get my clippers out, and I'll clip it off thinking, oh, is that really what I should do? And he's right. And then sure enough, it'll start to birth out. You see that when we're bearing this fruit, there's a pruning process, and nobody wants to go through that pruning process. 
But the pruning process is very real for us, and we know what it looks like, and we know how we experience it. And what does it do? It's God really stretching us, taking us out of our comfort zone. What does that look like for you? How has that experience happened in your life? And it looks different from person to person. For some of you, you would call it a a catastrophe. You would call it a major trial in your life. For some of you, you would call it as a test. Some of you would just say it was a moment where I had to really trust in the Lord. I had to increase my faith. I had to build my trust in him and not myself. For some of you, it was a major journey that you had to go through. Maybe God allowed a a past uh, trial to take you through some dark times and major storms, but you always kept your eyes on Christ and he gave you that perfect peace that was overwhelming. So whatever it might look like, we know what that purging process looks like and we know that it is for our betterment so that he might be glorified through it and that we would bear more fruit, that more would come out of it, so that people would see our lives and our living testimony as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ. They would say, how did you do that? How do you go through that? And it's always giving glory and honor directed toward Christ, toward God. It's saying that he walked with me through the valley of the shadow of death. It was that he gave me perfect peace as I trusted in him. Though I doubted and feared and had a lot of regret, there were moments where I experienced just overwhelming guidance from him. Whatever it might be, you know how you describe it, and you know what that purging looks like. So don't fret and don't worry and and really don't get angry with God. Just understand that the more you bear fruit and evidence of God's work in your life, the more he's going to entrust you with the purging process, more of the pruning to take place. Not so that you'll wither away, not that you'll reject and rebel against the master farmer, not that you'll want to do something different, but that you will bear bear forth much more fruit. In verse number six, here's what the revealer of genuineness also does, is he removes the dead branches. In verse number six, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The indication here in the last part of that verse, whenever we see fire, we we automatically want to kind of put the pieces together and say, okay, well, those are branches that are going to burn in hell one day because fire equals hell anytime I see the word fire in the scripture. And so often we want to kind of decide that was going to be a very natural and easy description or explanation of what happens to the dead branches. But there there are three different views, really, regarding what this passage is saying of the believer's position in Jesus Christ. And here's what a couple of those are, or I'll tell you all three. Number one, the first view believes that cast out branches are ones who, though once were true believers, they end up in hell for a lack of fruit. So they used to be a believer, but they're not bearing any fruit. They've rejected, they've wandered, they've, they've gone away from the faith, and they, they want no more part of the church, they want no more part of God, and they denounce God, they curse God, and they do everything rebelling against God. And so they're going to be gathered as dead branches and cast into the flame and fire forever. And the example there would be one that um, we would say that they were cast out by because they lost their salvation. Now remember what John 10 teaches us. Jesus is giving the account of the good shepherd. And in verse number 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now the sheep don't always line up and follow behind at every exact moment that they're supposed to, right? And we struggle with that. 
And so the sheep, though, they hear that voice and they distinctly know the difference and they ultimately will follow their shepherd. In verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Wonderful promise. So here, Jesus is not going to teach this truth in John 10 as the good shepherd, and then days later with his disciples talk about how somebody used to abide, doesn't abide, they're dead to me, and they can just go to hell for the rest of eternity. That's not the account of verse number six. The second view is taught that the cast out branches are fake, counterfeit Christians who never really abided in Jesus. And so this would, uh, would say then their ultimate destination is going to be hell. And the example that would be used there would be somebody like Judas, who Judas as a follower, of, or excuse me, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who was with him for three and a half years of ministry, who heard his teachings, who experienced his miracles, and who watched everything that Jesus would do, yet he was a fake and a fraud, and at the end, his true colors came out as a counterfeit. And so many people would say, verse 6 gives us this exclamation, explanation that this would be like someone who is just a fraud. They're actually a very dead branch, and, uh, and they're going to be gathered up, and they're going to be burned. They're going to go to hell. Well, here's the third view. The third view sees the branches cast out as fruitless Christians who live wasted, burnt-up lives. The example that would be used would be somebody like Abraham's nephew, Lot. And here is, is what I look in this passage of Scripture, and those three views is something that really you could chew on, you, we could have a really good conversation with, and it's not one that I would get heated and emotional in a debate with anybody about. Judas would have been a fraud. He would have been a fake. He he wasn't sold out to Jesus. That would maybe have been coming off of the heels of that. I go really between two and three. I really go back. But, but again, when we look at the context, would I like to say that this verse, verse six, would be an example of somebody who was just a, a fake and a fraud, and therefore their genuine colors came out, and they're just going to be gathered, and they're going to be thrown into the fire? Or number three, the third view would be that this was somebody that abided in Christ but then have just kind of stopped. The connection has gone away. They're really useless for the cause of Christ. I mean, they have a testimony of salvation, but no longer are they sold out for Christ, and they've lived a life that is wasted and, and now become just as dead wood. Look at the verse again. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This wood here has no use. It can't even be used to build something useful. It can't be taken and done anything beneficial and profitable with. We know that as Christians wander from the Lord, there is a time where they are called back to fellowship. Sometimes it's a church that rallies behind them with church discipline, calling out their sin and their wrong, and calls for restoration, for healing, and a coming back to him. And that is a beautiful picture of what Christ has taught all through the New Testament of that healing process. And so here, and we come to this study of what Jesus is using, I think it's important for us to see that this branch 
never connected or abided in Christ. There would have been plenty of people who would have seen Judas Iscariot and would have thought, that's one of the 12. Man, he sold out to Christ. Man, he has got it, and he is going to be one of the key men that move the mission forward. But Judas was a fraud, a fake, and never genuinely abiding in Christ. And so he would be pictured here as one who was withered and gathered up, cast in the fire, and are burned. I think it's important for us to just understand the complete opposite effect of those who abide in Christ. I think it's motivation for us to say, may I never be explained or described as somebody who did not connect with Jesus, that did not have partnership and fellowship and that tight connection of abiding in him. In verse 7 and 8, we finish. We see Jesus giving the directive of discipleship. And notice the little big word that he uses. And in this passage, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear, what? Much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Folks, tonight, if you haven't heard anything else, May we grab a hold of the fact that in this spiritual friendship that we call with Jesus, that it is a call to bear much fruit. He doesn't call for us to just just make it by. He doesn't call for us to just hope it all works out. That's why it's so vitally important for proper, purposeful discipleship. It's taking somebody who has given their life to Jesus Christ and everything is so new, everything is so fresh, they've experienced the first steps of transformation and and then a church family, a follower of Jesus Christ comes beside them and walks gently through sanctification with them. It goes through the process that is so different from being conformed to the world that is now being identified with Christ. A new believer doesn't need judgment cast down from a body of believers. A new follower of Jesus Christ doesn't need ridicule and and comments made. It just needs somebody to come and partner in love. When we think about this full circle, this full cycle of this spiritual friendship, we see that the more that we abide in Christ, the more he'll use us to bear much fruit. And by bearing much fruit... It's not that we can walk around and 20 years later say, I've been a super saint. Look at my resume. But it's that 20 years from now we can say, God has been so faithful and he is to be glorified and he is to be honored. Why would he even use me? Why would he allow me the privilege to shepherd? Why would he use me the oppor- give me the opportunity to teach Why do I have the privilege of pouring into others? And that becomes our plea. That becomes our our, our MO. That becomes the way we function that says, God, continue to prune, continue to purge, continue to clip away because I just want to bear much fruit for your glory. So this abiding in Christ does some incredible, incredible things. I think of this closing illustration Natalie is gone for a few days to South Carolina, and, um, and so Nat- uh, Bailey and Brooklyn and myself, we're 
We're kind of figuring things out. I got the girls' laundry done this afternoon. It's looking good, smelling good. Um, I think I used laundry detergent, so that's a plus. Um, I don't think the girls' beds got made this morning. Mine did halfway. I'm just like making her side. You don't have to mess with my side. So there's a lot of things there. But I think about the dinner plate. And the dinner plate, which had a lot of good food on it for dinner that night. And, and if I just sit that out on the counter and leave it all night long, the next morning I'm going to have some issues. It's going to be really dry and crusted and pasted on there. Anybody experience that time or two? I know you don't anymore because you're very, very disciplined. You do your dishes every night. You put them in the dishwasher or you scrub them every night before bed. I get you. Um, but there's been a moment in your life of weakness where you left that plate and it got really pasted and crusted. And really, the, some people would say, work harder. And if you work harder, you can scrub it out and you can really work to make it happen. But I love what Dawn does, like the little blue bottle. You just put a little squirt of that in the hot water, and then you set that plate in there, and you just let it abide for a little while. (laughs) The next day, all is good. But here's the illustration. You just let that plate abide in the powerful work of what is meant to do. And see, our lives so often, we're just scrubbing away. We think we've got to do it on our own, and we think we've got it figured out, only to find ourselves frustrated, tired, and worn out. And sometimes we just need to turn on the hot water of God's word with a couple of squirts of the Holy Spirit and just allow ourselves to abide. And when we find ourselves abiding, boy, what a beautiful picture that ends up being. All for the glory of God.